again for being here for this particular tra track. Every single speaker in this track, it's literally someone I know, they inspire me, the people that I think that I can learn a lot from. And I'm like, well, would it, would it be cool to have them come on board and actually learn from them together as a group? So I'm super excited. Help me welcome Chris Wilber. I call a great introduction. Chris is the CEO of Refine Labs. I don't know if you are, how many of you follow Chris Walker? So I don't even know I need to make an intro. All right, so as you guys recognize, like he's, he's the guy you all should look at and follow on LinkedIn. So check it out, just do it right now. And he would put out and he will tell things that are just true, really true about marketing. So some of this could be therapy. Some of this could be like, oh my God, did he just say that? But all in all, you will come out of this session knowing that there's more to be done and there's some good marketing to happen. So with that, hand it over to you, Chris. Take it away. Hey, everyone. Great to be with you today. Also, great to see everyone so dressed up and be in person. I was, uh, I've been in t-shirt and jeans for the past 18 months, and I got ready for today, and I put this on, and I can't even button it up. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little tight. Um, and so what I want to talk with you about today is in 2017, my marketing career and my life changed forever. I joined a company, fast-growing medical technology company called Vapotherm. Um, when I joined them, they were about 27 million ARR, just raised a Series D. And when I joined the company, I do the same process for the first 90 days every time. This is a note that people can take in. Step one is talk to all the smart people in the company and get a perspective of what people think. Step two is analyze quantitatively the business data. The thing that I look at specifically is segmentation. So who are the customers that are, like, have the most recurring revenue, that expand the most, that have the shortest sales cycles, that we win more, and look at different things. A lot of people look at firmographics. Um, firmographics are helpful. What I do next is I figure out the psychographics. And the way that I do that is I go into the market and I interact with customers at, or prospects or influential people at their place of business and I really understand. And so I did that. I went out with the field sales team with 40 reps across the country. It was a field sales model and went to the meetings. That's what they hired me to do. It was basically, a, they called it a marketing manager, but it was basically a field marketing job. So I'd go with the sales reps, work on sales enablement, try and help them close big deals, work on their two or three target accounts that they had on their territory and build specific campaigns around them. And when I would go to the meetings with them, I could feel, like I could really feel it, that we were talking to people that were not interested in buying right now. That we had asked for the meeting, they took it as a courtesy or because they wanted to learn something new, but you actually needed to be in the meeting to feel that they weren't going by right now. I'm not sure if the rep noticed it, but I definitely did. And so when I got back after that, I learned a ton of things. When I got back to HQ, my job as a marketer was how do I tell the market all of those things that they need to know so that they come and ask for the meeting, so that they want it instead of us asking them for the meeting. And so I went on, I went on a journey. Uh, I hadn't done a ton of marketing automation or a lot of tech. Um, and so I got HubSpot and I basically did everything by the book. Well, everything that you would read in the HubSpot blog or a Salesforce ebook or maybe even here at this conference. And I ran, I had ebooks that the company had created. I gated them, I collected leads, I ran them through email nurtures. I did that for 
three to six months. And when I looked at the business data, the business data around how that was performing over that period of time, we spent a lot of money and a lot of effort and got one customer out of more than a thousand leads for 25K ARR. And my decision on that was that is not a place where I want to spend my time. That's not a place that's going to help drive this business. Marketing can do way better. And so I went on a journey to basically develop a new framework to do marketing. And it started with the idea of when I went out and talked to customers, I deeply understood what customers believed and what people that didn't use our product believed in the very different. And I looked at what the gaps are. And then I figured out how, how am I going to give people that information in a way that they actually consume. And I, I'd never looked at that before. I was just running, trying to collect leads, trying to email, things like that. So how are people actually going to consume it? And so when I went out, I was visiting a customer at Atlanta Children's Hospital at two in the morning. I was in the ICU, and the ICU is very quiet. Two in the morning, most patients are asleep, there's no visitors, things like that. And so what I did is I started looking at what all the nurses and physicians and things were doing at that time. And they were doing three things. They were looking at Facebook or Instagram, they were on YouTube, or they were otherwise using their mobile device. And so my job at that was, there's a huge opportunity here. No other companies are trying to communicate with physicians on these channels. And so I went back and I was in a boardroom and I was like, okay, we got it. What we're gonna do is we're gonna run Facebook ads to emergency medicine physicians. And people laughed me out of the room, literally, like figuratively, but essentially uh, were not buying into that methodology. And so I got a $500 budget to run the test. And with $500, I ran Facebook ads using a clinical, an ungated clinical trial that came out about our product and said it was objectively better because what I believe is that if we have a product that has a strong value proposition and people know the things that they need to know, they're gonna be way more open to considering our product, having a conversation with our sales reps, things like that. And so I distributed that clinical trial on Facebook ads. Um, when I did it, we had four people that came to the website during the time where the campaigns were running and ask for a demo. When they come in and ask for a demo, all four of them were attributed to either organic search or direct traffic. And this is where we're gonna start getting into the dark funnel concept. Because what was happening is that we were distributing the ads on Facebook, people were consuming it, maybe they went and told a coworker, maybe they asked someone at a different facility whether or not they use it, and then they came back on a desktop computer through Google and converted. And all attribution software and all marketing automation is going to measure it on organic search and direct traffic, which will then drive investments if you care a lot about attribution. That's what a lot of companies do. And so we collected four leads. I tracked them through the funnel because I knew that uh, the CEO of that company only cared about revenue. And so I was looking to move my $500 budget to 50,000, which I did successfully in less than 12 months by tracking those four leads. The first one out of the four, we closed one deal for 2610 ARR, and it closed in 42 days instead of our normal sales cycle that was 210 days. And so that got people interested, so we started really moving on, on this. So the budget was increasing, we're upping the content, we're starting to hire marketing people, and as we continued to do it, more and more people came to the website and asked if they could talk to sales about buying our stuff. Things that we did at that time, 
very strong Facebook and Instagram ad execution, YouTube video. We had a video podcast where we, um, where we filmed physician, me interviewing physicians about how they're using our product in a clinical trial that they did about our product. And more and more people came through the website and the business data was so clear that when people do that, as opposed to you asking for a meeting, you get higher win, rate, win, uh, higher win rates. Our website source was 40% win rates from SQO. Our outbound or blended was 13. And so when you have a field sales team that's gonna drive six hours to go have that meeting, I would much rather have them have a huge opportunity to win. The sales cycles were dramatically shorter. Customer acquisition cost was 10 times less than our outbound model. And so I'm trying to convince this company to, to move on. And I did. We did a lot of awesome work. It was very successful. But the underlying thing is that all of the things that I was doing were not getting attributed accurately in any of these channels. And I was lucky at this company because when I joined, they didn't even know what marketing automation was. So they didn't know about marketing. They didn't really care about marketing attribution. They just cared just marketing driving revenue. And so basically I had a free land to experiment with all these different things. And that's what I discovered. And so to bring this back and start to get really tactical, the reality of the situation is that B2B buyers are discovering, researching, and valuating products in places that companies can't track. And because they can't track them, they actually just don't do them. Or if they do do them, it's a throwaway. Like the, the companies that post on their LinkedIn page once a week with some like blog that people at the company like and nobody else engages with. That's why you see a lot of not very many companies do a podcast. Um, because it's very difficult to track in the way that companies are traditionally trained to track things. My company, we started a podcast the first week that COVID happened, mainly driven through a live event that would get converted into a podcast. That podcast is now a top 25 pod marketing podcast in the country and drives a majority of our new business. But most companies would not take that journey because of the lack of attribution. And so what you get when you are looking at attribution, which I interact with hundreds of companies every month, B2B staff companies, both customers of ours, but also just people in discovery conversations, drivers in the markets that create a lot of content. And the people that care about attribution end up in certain channels. That's where all the tactics happen. And inside, these are the channels. Paid search. I, work, I interact with tons of companies that love to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on paid search, like leads that don't close. Um, review sites. Uh, events. First party events where you can actually collect leads like webinars and different things like that. All things that are lower funnel and easy to track. And so if they do use a channel like paid social, it's all lead gen, per, solely to facilitate attribution. Yet, it's funny, because I go and analyze all of these Salesforce instances and see what's happening. They love to run lead gen in, in LinkedIn because they can track that these leads came from LinkedIn, but they never look at how many of those leads become customers, because I do it, and it's really bad. Um, and so, in terms of the dark funnel, what, up until I have started talking about it broadly, the only place that I've heard of it is from intent data providers. Intent data providers that talk about the dark funnel that want to sell you the data so you can do cold calling. I'm talking about something very different than that in this. I'm talking about how marketers should respond. 
And what I'm talking about is instead of sitting there and looking at a dashboard trying to read the signals so that we can cold call people, I'm talking about being in the dark tunnel, putting content in there, engaging with buyers, talking to prospects, driving the signals that other companies are trying to read. And when you drive the signals that other companies are trying to read, your brand is preferred. I think everyone knows that as a B2B buyer, is that when someone's trying to sell to you and you already have a preferred brand in that category, you're typically not receptive to it. I know, I, I know that's how I, I interact as a buyer. And so the channels that, where this is happening that's driving my business and a lot of the businesses that we work for are these organic social, podcasts, non-conversion-based paid social, communities like Slack, or Slack communities like Revenue Collective or Peak Community, uh, word of mouth through trusted peers like all of you communicating with each other, never gonna track that, earned PR. I could go on for a long time about this event, right? Like I'm not looking at the registration list of this event to try and get leads. And so all of these different, all these different channels are difficult to track. And I would argue that the channels that I just mentioned if you think about it deeply as yourself as a buyer, are the ones that are most effective for you. Are the most effective channels to companies that are executing there are the ones that are winning right now. And so there's an attribution conundrum here, right? Because companies want attribution so they focus on these channels that are less effective, that are lower funnel, that are very, essentially just fighting over buyers that are brand agnostic. And I, I think a lot of people should consider moving into the dark funnel moving more people into intent, and the people that move into intent prefer your brand and therefore you win more. But it requires a different, fundamentally different mindset and a fundamentally different measurement system to know whether or not the stuff is working. I ran this experiment at my company where what we did is we had HubSpot Enterprise multi-touch attribution running we have another multi-touch attribution product called Dream Data. And then all we did was put on our form with someone for a request of consultation, how did you hear about us? And left an open text box that people could write stuff. And then we compared the data. Less than 50% less than of the things that were reported were accurate. So people are, people are saying, hey, I heard about you from your LinkedIn, your podcast, and multi-touch attribution software is both and both uh, softwares are telling us organic search or direct traffic. And so I knew that. I knew that before because I saw it in 2017 when I was doing this, but I don't think a lot of people do know that. And that's so, so I'm trying to help people understand that the places where people are discovering you and the places that are making the most impact are not necessarily the things that are getting attributed in the channels or inside of the attribution software. And so, I think that's pretty much what I'm looking to communicate here and would love, I'm sure that there's a couple questions and what I find when I do this content a lot is that the questions are actually the place where the, the most valuable stuff happens and so would love and encourage anyone to, to drop a question and would be happy to answer them. Thank you. Love it. So the thing, uh, because in 2017, I was sort of in this 
trap, so to speak, where where we have that marketing attribution and sales is like, I went to that account and then you're fighting over something that doesn't matter. No, neither person is getting comped on it. It really doesn't matter. Um, and so the way that I frame it up to companies now is it's not about who sourced it, it's about the buyer. Did the buyer come inbound to us and ask for the meeting or did we go to them and ask for the meeting? And so if there was an outbound touch that then moved in and then came inbound, I would, I would call that outbound to inbound, but I would attribute it to inbound. What else people got in the dark corner? What's up, Sanger? All right. So, most people here in marketing right now, from scratching the brain, shit. My CEO, my CFO, they need to see all of these first touch, last touch attribution. This is how I'm making myself valuable in the company. So I keep my job in many ways that people be thinking about it. And more, the, the bigger the company, the harder it gets to talk about this stuff because everybody likes results, but nobody's talking about all the great stuff that you're saying. How do you help companies to think about how should they have this conversation? Because it's not practical. You can't do that. So mm -hmm. if it's not practical, then some people say, well, it's not practical, it's not measurable, you know, nobody can do value. Totally, yeah, I think this is partially driven through, because I went through this time period as well, where MarTech vendors, specifically market automation vendors, told you that you need to measure every single thing to an ROI, which is not feasible and has created a lot of this like lead gen based behavior. Um, what I encourage companies to think about on this is to have two separate attribution systems. And so you have your core multi-touch attribution system that's going to favor lower funnel direct response intent based channels. That, that's going to be pretty clear. And then I think that you need a secondary mechanism to measure things that are happening in the dark funnel. I mentioned one during my talk, so self-reported attribution, we're rolling out that with companies that we work with getting fascinating results. One company had 60% of their inbound revenue came through word of mouth. And then they looked at who were the people that were driving word of mouth. It was three people that were driving 60% of their revenue in that quarter. Um, and I just find that super fascinating. So self-reported attribution is one of them. I encourage companies to use win analysis so either through marketing, through customer experience, or a third party to actually call closed one deals and understand what their journey actually was like and what they actually consumed and things like that. And then the third element is what I'm encouraging companies to do, which is a large scale market research survey that's happening on an ongoing basis every three, six, 12 months, which is looking at how many buyers understand your brand, understand the category, see you as a preferred brand, unaided and aided um, mechanisms to capture that, to see how things are progressing over time, as well as understanding how do people hear about you. One of the things that, we'll, I guess we'll go into this, one of the things that I did to help executives in my company understand some of these things in 2018 is I did a large scale survey. So we were selling to emergency medicine physicians and we asked them, do you want to like, Who's your preferred brand? Which product do you use? But a lot of things that we talked about is how they want to buy. And so some of the questions that we asked about how you want to buy is what's the first thing that you do when you um, want to research a product? Is it, I'm going to go online. Step two was I asked a colleague at another facility about their experience, which is word of mouth, which is really difficult to track. Um, and then the next one was then I want to get it done. 
but our sales process was built around just trying to get people into demos. So we started to change some of our outbound motions to facilitate an interaction with another facility as opposed to just asking for the meeting. So hey, Susie, Jimmy down the street has been using our products, seeing really great results. I've set it up if you want to connect for 15 minutes to learn more. That was an outbound touch that we did. Um, forgot where I was, where was I? <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that there's two different ones. I did not think about this to do, is to ask the customers, ask to close one deal, and really start there, really look at, and it almost feels like that could be a starting point for, in most companies who have traditional measuring systems to say, you know what, let me start with just smaller success, and smaller success wouldn't be with you, it would be the one that actually pulls one That's really interesting, I think most of us can take that home. And then the pushback that I get on this one is like, what if the customer read a blog you know, 19 months earlier and didn't remember it. And on the self-reported side, you're going to get the channel that someone remembers the most, that they believe made the most impact. That's what you're gonna get. And if you use multi-touch attribution software, you'll most likely get the blog touch anyway. So it's sort of like using two different things and then piecing them together using intuition and common sense to understand what's actually happening. Go ahead. So when you mentioned most efficient method, Personally, I would run programs. Okay. And then how would you attribute that money back? You just look at the 
reporting to Florida on investment? Yeah, so when, I, when I've done this, I look at one holistic website funnel. I know how people are coming in when they're ready to buy. They're gonna to come to the website, and they're gonna ask for a demo, whatever our main CTA is, or pricing, or something like that. That's what people do when they're ready to buy. And can you get me back on the question real quick? Can you get me back on the question real quick? Uh, if you had like a quarter million, what would you, what would you spend on, and then how, how would you report? How would you report back? Yeah, so I'm looking at the total program spent, yeah. so 250,000, and I'm gonna measure that funnel on number of qualified demo submissions, the cost of those demos, the SQOs, the cost of the, those sales qualified opportunities, close one revenue, customer acquisition cost, and then I'm going to compare it to other sources of revenue in the company. And so looking at it against outbound, this system will be dramatically more efficient from a cost standpoint and from a sales efficiency productivity standpoint. And then I'm going to report back on that. So like for instance, 30, 30 60 days, you need product, I'm trying to get a sales qualified opportunity at 2000 to $3,000. Um, and so that's how it's a, it's a blended approach. And then as marketers, it's our job to look at how is each individual channel contributing to that. And the reason that I know it and the reason that a lot of marketers don't is because I'm in there with customers. And so they, they tell me when I'm in there. I'll give you an example. In, um, in 2018, when I worked at this company, I basically built a direct communication portal with all of our customers through Facebook and Instagram ads. At that time, it was possible. Now it doesn't work that way anymore. But when I was running ads, I would get 100 comments from respiratory therapists, ER nurses, emergency medicine physicians that said, I don't understand this, or they would present an objection, or they would say, we use your product and it's great, or anything. And if they asked a question or presented an objection that I didn't have content for, I went and made it. And then I dropped it back in, which is basically digital selling. And so, and I was doing all of that, and the company was had their field sales team going out to full, drive four hours to have a conversation with someone that doesn't want to buy, and I'm like really engaging with customers. And customers basically told me that it was working. Their engagement told me that. I do this exact same thing on LinkedIn. I think it's a core reason that I've been successful both in, in that model and on LinkedIn is because I'm deep in the data, specifically engagement data. Not the data that typically people look at, so I'm looking at who's commenting. What are they saying? Who's sending me DMs? What are they asking for? Um, when people are coming to sales conversations, are they using the same language that we use on the podcast? A lot of them are. And so those, those qualitative signals give me the most insight, and then I just pair it with some of the data that I kind of intuitively feel that I get from attribution software. And if it's going to the, at the, the board level, the reason that I would ever consider like any of the attribution models at the the board level is solely to drive an understanding of the, the investment required. I think a lot of people use it to defend things that they're already doing, as opposed to going on the offense and saying, look, our customers are telling, our, uh, telling us our podcast is awesome right now, and we publish once every two weeks. I want to make a $250,000 investment to amp up the production and go to three times a week. And that's how I would play it. So if it wasn't to make it in, uh, a business case to make a different investment, then I wouldn't use it at the board level. When you're doing your um, cost per calculation, do you factor in the cost of time at all? For example, a podcast is probably less expensive than paid search. 
but costs a lot more time to produce. Yeah, so we look at it in two different ways. So I have um, advertising cost per SQO, which ends up getting blended, and then I have marketing, total marketing cost per SQO that includes headcount. And I'll do the same thing with that uh, customer acquisition cost. So I'll look at advertising customer acquisition cost and then marketing customer acquisition cost of marketing attributed deals. Thank you. One more? One last question. Okay. Let's do it. So when you talk to when you get down to the bound through LinkedIn and when you kind of tell people this is what you're doing, how things are doing wrong, what's their reaction? Is it more defensive or embracing embracing? So I um, number one, I only talk to people that are interested in, in talking to me. Right, so I don't, I don't, none of our business is outbound um, because our methodology is so different than what people do right now. It's a losing game to go outbound and talk to people. So we don't do that. We only have people that come inbound to us, which usually means they've consumed LinkedIn content for a long time and they've been listening to the podcast, so they're really bought in. And then, so the CMO or whoever is bought in, but then the next step is convincing the rest of the executive team about what's going on. And when we do that, we do an analysis. It's an analysis called Split the Funnel, which essentially is, is breaking up all of your marketing source revenue into different lead sources and then quantifying things like sales cycle length, win rates, uh, SQL win rates, lead win rates, lead to win rates, um, ACV, pipeline velocity, putting those things out. And when you show that to people, it's very interesting because I show them all of the revenue is coming through, 80% of the revenue is coming through your website with super low customer acquisition costs and super high efficiency. And we're over here spending all our money on LinkedIn to collect leads that we literally win at 0.1%. So our SDR and AAT needs to work 1,000 leads to get one customer. It's just not, it's a waste of time in my view. And so I, I just, it's not, I'm not convincing anyone, I'm showing them the data and they convince themselves. And anyone here could do that analysis. We publish a lot of information on how to do that. So you can go in and look at every individual lead source, calculate those out, and we actually show how to present to people as well. All right, Chris, where can people find you? Um, the podcast is called State of Management Podcast, um, if you're interested in that. Also on LinkedIn, I post content almost every day. Awesome. And so, give it up for Chris Walker. Chris will be here for a few, you know, a few 15 more minutes. So if you have any questions, comments, like, I mean, he really does Q and A. You gotta give it a hand to a guy who actually doesn't use slides. For the one who used like 50 slides, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Say it out there. Uh, we're gonna take a 10 minute break. Uh, the next session is with Daniel Ingerbertson. If you are doing anything with ABM, you don't want to lose your seat and just want to make sure you're here because he's gonna share 10 different companies and how those companies actually used ABM with many different use cases. So that will be a session. He's going to be a hyperspeed guy. So 10 minute break and then we'll be back in here. Thank you so much.